Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. John Maxwell once said, Time management is an oxymoron. Time is beyond our control, and the clock keeps ticking regardless of how we lead our lives. Priority management is the answer to maximizing the time we have. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format, and we are caller-friendly. So, Jonathan, let's get started. Good day, sir. How are you? What's happening, and what are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question for the podcast today is, is my Christianity a waste of time? And the theme text is found in Psalms chapter 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So it's all about time. Did you ever notice that there never seems to be enough time? For some reason or other, we're always rushing around to do the things we need to do, and we seem to scarcely be able to even take a breath in between this and that. Our lives are often harried, and as a result, we tend to feel unfulfilled and empty at the end of the day. So how are we spending our time? What are we doing or not doing with that precious commodity of time to either fulfill or fritter away our lives? As Christians, are there different and specific guidelines for spending and investing our time than for others? Are there ways to simply and effectively reorder and reclaim our time? Where do we start? What do we do? That was Enya. She's got one of those angelic-type voices that you can never get enough of. (laughs) That's for sure. So, Rick, what are the important things for the Christian? How about Bible study, fellowship, prayer, meditation? How do we not lose focus on the most important things? And how do we fit them into our busy lives, our crazy lives? Crazy, busy lives. And you're right, there's, there's a lot of things that are important for a Christian, And so the challenge is, how do you do all of that? Because, you know, bottom line, you're right. Christianity, essentially, Christianity done right is a full-time job. Absolutely. So if you already have a full-time job, or if you're a full-time mother or dad or whatever it is, or you're a caregiver for your aged parents or whatever it is, we're saying, okay, Christianity is this full-time job. It's supposed to be on top of all this other. How do you do that? 
stay with us, because that's really what we're going to talk about uh, today. How do we get our Christianity to actually be the most valuable part of our day instead of potentially being a waste of our time? That's really what it boils down to. But so good question, Jonathan. Good thoughts to get us started here. And that's going to bring us, we're going to, we're going to look at several time management tools as we go through our podcast today. Our first time management tool is going to be stating the obvious. So Jonathan, what is that? Our use of our time directly dictates our quality of life. Simple statement. Simple. Use of your time dictates the quality of your life. Nobody is going to give you a high-quality life. You have to use your time in such a way to create a high-quality life. So understanding and absorbing this simple little truth sets us up for truly paying attention to where our time goes. And Jonathan, I be, before we even get into the subject matter, I think it's important to say that most of us, even though we are so quote, busy, and if we were on television or something, you'd see me making those little air quotes, we're busy, (laughs) okay? We waste more time than we care to even admit. I'm willing to say that about most of us in, in in our everyday. So to sort of illustrate some of that, we're gonna break up a, um, a YouTube video from Z Frank One called "The Time You Have in Jelly Beans." All right, uh, so let's just hear the introduction, and this is something you really want to see. And so I would encourage you to go to to, to YouTube to YouTube and look it up because it's really kind of fascinating. Because when he's talking about jelly beans, one jelly bean per day for your life, he dumps them all out on the floor, and it's really kind of a cool thing to watch. So let's just listen to the introduction of the time that you have in jelly beans. These are roughly 28,835 jelly beans. I counted out 500 of them and used those to weigh the rest. In this pile, there's one jelly bean for each day that the average American will live. You might have more beans in your life, or maybe less, but on average, this is the time we have. Here's a single bean. It's your very first day. A special day, but kind of a rough day on everyone involved. Add 364 more and you have the first year of your life. Now, for a sense of scale, here are your first 15 years, 5,475 days, which brings us to the threshold of adulthood. And at that moment, this is the time that we have left. So basically, he said, you're starting out with an average of 79 years. You take off 15 years and you now have 23,360 jelly beans or 23,360 days left in your life, what are you going to do with them? So it's going to be interesting how he breaks it down. You spend so much time eating and sleeping and blah, blah, blah. So, and what are you going to do with your time? That's going to be the, uh, it's very fascinating to listen to all of that. I love jelly beans, Rick. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) In fact, that was my nickname when I was very little. The next door neighbor, whenever I went over to her house and she made me lunch, uh, I would always ask for a peanut butter jelly and sweet pickle sandwich. Now, wait, 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 wait. Time out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, Jonathan, that sounds like something a pregnant woman would ask for. I'm just saying, okay? So well, how did what... so how did she come up with the nickname Jelly Bean from that? Because making such a silly sandwich every day or whenever I was over, she just called me Jelly Bean because it was so crazy. 
So, folks, now when you call in, you can ask to talk to Jonathan the Jelly Bean, and we'll see what we can do for you. <laughs> All right, there's a vision for me. <laughs> All right, let's let's get started. Uh, the following is a lesson in the passage of time and our need for a vision from the context of our theme verse, which you had read from uh, Psalm, Psalm 90, verse 12. Time is bigger than we as imperfect humans can even imagine. And the 90th Psalm actually helps us to see and understand that. So we're going to break this down into pieces. Psalm 90, verses 1 through 12. Let's take verses 1 to 2 to begin with. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Okay, all generations. So obviously it goes all the way back to Adam here, all the way back to the beginning. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he's saying, okay, before humanity, before the earth, before all of that particular plan, you are God. You have been and you are and you will be. So there's incomprehensible ages past to all eternity moving forward. God was, is, and shall be. And he is the same in character and power throughout. He doesn't change, does he, Rick? No, and that's what so many people get wrong when they look at Scripture. Look at the quote, the again, here are the air quotes, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, and they say, oh, that's a different God. No, 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 that's not a different God. That is the same God expressing the learning necessary in different ages. That's what he's doing. It's the same God saying you need to learn these basics first, then you need to learn this, then you need to learn that. And when you see the God of the next age, who's the same God, it's a whole different set of lessons, but we're, that's not where we're going tonight. Okay, so God is everlasting to everlasting. Verse 3 of Psalm 90. You turn men back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. And doesn't that remind you of what he said to Adam? Absolutely. From dust thou art? And dust thou shalt return. So this psalm is giving us a very sober sense of time. It's saying God is big in his everlasting before any of the earth was ever formed to the everlasting beyond. And he's saying that you turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men, because of sin. So it's showing us the shortness of our lives uh, in, in relation to the, to the experience with Adam to the greatness and longevity of God's life, which we can't even comprehend. And now the next verse goes even deeper into this, into this profound understanding of time from a bigger perspective than ours. Verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. So it's really kind of interesting. A thousand years in your sight are like yesterday. Remember that when God said to Adam that in the day you eat of that fruit, that forbidden fruit of that forbidden tree, um, you would die. You shall surely die, right, is I, his response. Right. right. And, and you think, okay, well, how is it that you shall surely die? I mean, Adam didn't die, you know, within the next 24 hours. No, he didn't. He lived, he lived, he lived 930 years, uh, and we find that in Genesis 5, verse 5. So the interesting thing is, in, in this verse uh, 4 of uh, Psalm 90, it says, a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday. It's like a day. So, in fact, Adam did die in the day from God's perspective. 
in the day the that day to the Lord is a thousand years. Right. So he died within that thousand. That makes so much sense. Right. So this this scripture and other scriptures liken a day with God to a thousand years. There are several other scriptures that follow through on that. So what this does, Jonathan, is this gives us a long view outside of our present reality of what time is. And so it's helping us to understand that what we think of time as, what we see time as, is just a drop in the drop, which is in the bucket, which is in the ocean. <laughs> All right? It, we, we don't see the bigness of the picture. And I think, again, in my imagination, I, I picture the psalmist sort of sitting back and pondering the everlasting life of God from everlasting to everlasting in our short little human lives and saying, wow, what a vast difference that is. How great God is and how little we are. So what does God now do with those thousands of years since man sinned? See, the psalm is going to kind of give us a sense of, okay, so what happens now that this thousand-year thing is, is labeled? Verses uh, 5 and 6 of Psalm uh, chapter 90. You have swept them away like a flood. They fell asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. So... What happens to these days, they, they spring up like grass, they sprout, and then they wither away. So time passes on. And, and that's kind of part of the reason we played that Enya song, you know, who can tell where the heart goes? Who can tell only time? Time just overrides anything and everything. For we have all been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We have been dismayed. And you have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. And that's kind of interesting. You know, we finished our years like a sigh. Don't people say all the time, look, is this all there is? When they look at life and they look they at... They do say that. You're yeah. right. You're right. And, and you get this sense of, 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 uh, of an ominous feeling of despair. When someone says that, is this all there is? Thanks for listening to Christian Questions Live. Call us now at 866-985-4255 or ask your questions and leave your comments at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, we see that time passes in a lot of ways almost unnoticed and ages passed pass almost unnoticed because we live in this little box of our little lives and Nature keeps going on, and then it, it talks about God's anger, because of sin, has taken its toll on his human creation in a very, very sad situation. So we now, as the human creation, we have very limited time. So what should we be focusing on? What is worth our time? Again, Psalm chapter 90, let's go to verses uh, 10 and 11. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. So it's giving you a sense that we've got such a short amount of time. It just talked about a day with God is as a thousand years. And now just a couple of verses later it says, but you only have 70, maybe 80 if you're strong. Well, the jelly bean guy had it pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Right, because he, he figured 79 years yeah. was the average life. Yeah, yeah, and, and in the United States of America, that is the average lifespan right now is, is 79 years. So 
Our time is very short. That's what this psalm is saying. Verse 11. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So do we understand the power of the shortness of our lives? And that's what that jelly bean example is going to help us to do, hopefully, in the next couple of segments, is help us to see the power of the shortness of our lives and the urgency for making our lives something of great, great value. So now we go on to uh, Psalm 90, verse 12, and that's the theme text that you started us with, Jonathan. What is that? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That is such a beautiful sentiment. Teach us to number our days, to be careful with, to take notice. See, when you number something, you're taking notice of it as it's going. You're watching it. You're counting it. It means something. It's part of a total. It's, it's, it's something that is vital. Teach us to number our days. And so, so why are we supposed to number our days? To present our hearts full of wisdom. Because in the eyes of God, if we take this short little life and we number our days, we focus on them clearly, that is wisdom. And God is glorified when we as little human beings have some measure of wisdom. Well, that brings us to our second time management tool, and what is that? Well, Rick, that's valuing and using our precious time is wisdom from the inside out valuing and using our precious time. If we value it, see, you can say, yes, it's, it's very valuable to me. It's very, very important, but then you don't use it. Uh, you, can, you can try to use your time without valuing it, and you end up just frittering it away. You just kind of end up wasting it as you go. So to value and use your time is wisdom. It is a heart full of wisdom, and God looks at that, And God says, this is what I want from you. You have a very short life. Take that very short life and use it so that it can bring God great glory and great honor. Because in our lives, that's really what a Christian life is supposed to be all about. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Is My Christianity a Waste of Time? Coming up. Now that we see how precious our time is, what is the next step in using it more effectively? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Is My Christianity a Waste of Time? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for the CQ Rewind. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, hit the newsletter sign-up tab, and register for the CQ Rewind outline and the CQ Rewind Insider Weekly Material. And uh, all of that, uh, all of those things are free services, and we've gotten so many great, great feedback comments about how CQ Rewind is such a great study tool. So we really encourage you to try it out and see what you think. 
so so Jonathan, brother Jellybean, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go back to the time that you have in Jellybeans by Z Frank One. And he's now going to take apart what happens with our time after 15 years, because we had 23,360 days left if we live to 79 years old. And how do we spend those days? And this is, on average, what we will do with all that time. We will be asleep for a total of 8,477 days. If we're lucky, some of that time we'll be sleeping next to someone we love. We will be in the process of eating, drinking, or preparing food for 1,635 days. We'll be at work, hopefully doing something satisfying, for the equivalent of 3,202 of those days. 1,099 days will be spent commuting or traveling from one place to another. Maybe a little bit more if you live in L.A. On average, we will watch television in one form or another for a total of 2,676 days. So when you listen to all of those numbers, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Like, okay, in a 79-year lifespan, you're going to spend, uh, you know, 3,202 days, 24-hour days working. It's a lot of days to be working. That is. Tell your boss you need some more time off. I don't know. <laughs> and, and, you know, you subtract all of those things out, and that now leaves you with 6,271 days. Because here you've done uh, all of the necessities of life. You have slept. You have eaten, you have worked, you have traveled, and of course the necessity of life of watching TV is in there for 2,676 <laughs> 24-hour days. That's necessity, a, did you well, say? Well, <laughs> you know, for a lot of us, I think it seems to be. Um, but anyway, that gives us a sense of time shrinks. You know, you say, okay, you got 79 or 80 years, but out of those 79 or 80 years, do you really have 79 or 80 years because you've got all those other things that take up your time? So, the previous segment really focuses us on the necessity of knowing what our life is about. That's what Psalm 90 was focusing us on. What we need is vision. We need to see something. So, Jonathan, vision. We need vision. What does that mean? The all-encompassing picture that captures the imagination. All right. A vision is that big picture that, that captures the imagination, that makes you lock onto it, and say, this is huge. This is something bigger. This is something stronger than I've ever seen. That's, and again, for a Christian, we should have that. We should have that kind of vision. See, now here's the thing. Vision is about the struggle surrounding what you decide to invest your time in focusing on versus the default behavior of spending your time only seeing what the world sets before you. Because it's so easy to sit back and let the world present to us stuff. That's right, Rick. The distractions of life can take us off course so easily. But I was thinking about us. We had a vision. We wanted to do something together to serve the Lord, to share his plan. And we started brainstorming years and years ago. And all of a sudden, the Lord presented this idea of talking on the radio. And it and wasn't my idea. I take no credit <laughs> for that. <laughs> and it, it was bigger than us, but 
we stepped out anyway, and uh, here we are, uh, almost 19 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we not only stepped out, but we stepped in it, didn't we? <laughs> but see, that's what <laughs> a lot happens. Of struggle. <laughs> yes. But see, that's part of vision, something bigger, something captivating. And then it's the struggle of what are you going to, what vision are you going to be watching every day of your life? You're going to be watching the vision that is, that is drawing you to something higher or are you going to be watching the vision that the world is putting in front of you? That's just going to, it's going to, it's junk and it's going to waste your time. I, that's really what it comes down to. Proverbs 29, 18, a very famous scripture in relation to this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So we must have vision. And, and Jonathan, in the, first, in the first hour today, we're going to present three things that we need in order to have our Christianity not be a waste of time. Three things that we need to help us to make that Christian uh, aspect of our lives the overwhelming aspect of our lives, so it is the greatest investment of our time we could ever imagine. So the first thing that we need is vision. So let's take a, a, a look at a vision of a visionary. We're going to look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, and just, just pause for a minute after verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. So in the scripture, there's a sense of a race and a race course. And it says we've got this great cloud of witnesses, and it's talking about Hebrews chapter 11, which was the, the ancients, those who were faithful in those previous times before Jesus came. The prophets of old. Yes, and what they did and the inspiration and the power and the strength and the discipline and the fortitude and all of those things that you look at and say, they had a vision. They were, they were serving something so much bigger than themselves. That's good. We've got all of these witnesses. But then verses 2 and 3 bring us to an even higher level as Christians. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. So you've got that great cloud of witnesses, and then as a Christian you have Jesus. Looking to Jesus, there is our core vision. He's the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith. And he gave up everything, and he endured the cross because of the vision that he had. This is a vision of a visionary, and this is captivating for us. And, and, and you know, part of this, our Christianity isn't as easily on display in the world in which we live as you might like it to be able to be. You're right, Rick. Because the world hates Christianity, frankly. <laughs> it's just they look down on the principles of Christianity and they laugh at it and so forth. And, and so you've got to realize that we want to get to this, to this place, this mountaintop experience of what Christianity stands for. But here's the thing. The path to a thrilling mountaintop passes directly through the tedious valley of experience. Very poetic, right? <laughs> But it's I was true. thinking about the stream of chocolate that flows along oh, no. the riverbed. No, no, no there's no stream of chocolate in the tedious valley of experience, Jonathan. Get your pictures right, Jelly Bean. 
<laughs> but see, understand, we go through the tedious valley of our... Where did that come from? I hope I, don't I didn't know. distract you, Rick. <laughs> it did throw me <laughs> off a little, I admit. Uh, we have to understand the, the incredible value of that tedious valley of experience, because that's where our Christianity is measured, it's developed, and it begins to mature. And without the tedious valley of experience, we'll never see the mountaintop. You've got to go through it. And that brings us to time management tool number three. What is that? Continually looking for what we have chosen to focus on will narrow our focus and therefore lessen distraction. That's one of the keys. The, one of the keys of vision, Jonathan, is you may have the vision, and as a Christian, it may be rekindled on Sundays. Well, good for you. And that's meant to be sarcastic, because you know what? That's not so good for you. It should be rekindled on, sun, on Sundays, and Mondays, and Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and Fridays, and Saturdays. It should be rekindled every day of your life, so that as you go through that tedious valley of experience, you're carrying the vision of the mountaintop. That's how part of the vision aspect is how we can better make use of our time as Christians so our Christianity is not a waste of time. Let, let's go back to uh, our friend Z. Frank with the um, time you have measured in jelly beans. And remember now, you've used up all of your time doing all these very basic things like uh, sleep and food and work and travel and watching TV and, and the first 15 years of your life, and now you're down to 6,271 24-hour days. But there's more things to be done. Household act chores and tending to our pets and shopping will take another 1,576 days and we will care for the needs and well-being of others our friends and family for 564 days we'll spend 671 days bathing grooming and doing all other bathroom related activities and another 720 days will go to community activities like religious and civic duties charities and taking classes after we remove all those beans, this is what remains. So he said he shows you a picture of what remains, and it's 2,740 days. 2,740 24-hour days left out of a 79-year life after you do all of those things. And so he's getting to a very, very specific point on just making sure we understand that our time is very, very limited. There's a great quote here, Jonathan. Let's, let's look at that. Ordinary people think merely of spending time. Great people think of using it. And, you know, if we are not in the latter category, in the, in the category of thinking of using, and, and I would rather use the word investing our time, then our Christianity, folks, is just going to be, be a waste because it's going to be an external label that doesn't have any transformative effect on you. Make your Christianity, make the vision of your Christianity viable every day. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or call us now at 866-985-4255. Okay, so our vision. We've been talking about vision, and there's several of these things, so we have to keep moving forward. Our vision is big. It's the big panoramic picture of our passion and purpose. Somebody once said that the devil is in the details. So, and you, you, we don't want the devil to be in the details. But, no, we do not. Rick. But you know what? The devil can be in the details of our lives if we are not investing our time the way we should be. 
That's if we're not focusing on our vision. Right, because otherwise you're, what you're getting is junk, and the devil is definitely in the junk. Okay? Yeah. So, yeah. if our vision is like the compass that gets us focused in the right direction, then our priorities are what help us determine which roads to take to get us to our true north of that compass. So that brings us to the second what we need aspect of our managing our Christian time. The first was vision, and the second is priorities. Jonathan, give us a clear-cut, focused definition of what priorities are. The necessary ordering of the details of our life. The necessary ordering of the details of our life. Now look, do we have to put the details of our life in order? Nope. Do you want to be a, 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 a viable, valuable Christian in the eyes of God? Yep. Of course. Well, then you have to have the necessary ordering of the details of your life. You're right, Rick. You have to have priorities. So establishing priorities is a function of mindful behavior. And Jonathan, I was telling you before we started the podcast today that uh, this word jumped out at me like crazy this past week in, in preparation for the program, being mindful. And that's not a word we usually think of. No, or no. think about. But it's, it's all over the scriptures. And it's one of those things that I've read a million times and just like, yeah, 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 yeah. And this time was like, wow, look at that. See, see because to be mindful is to be thoughtful, to be clearly aware, and to be positioned to powerfully act on that awareness. We know that that's what being mindful is because God is described in Scripture as mindful. A couple of Scriptures, Jonathan, Psalm 8, 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? Okay, so what is man that thou art mindful? That God, what are we? Remember we were talking about how small we are in relation to the bigness of God? Why do you pay attention? Why do you make plans for us? Why do you overrule the history of mankind? And, and why do you allow sin to happen and then bring Jesus to bring a ransom for sin and then bring sin to an end and bring the resurrection and all of that? Why do you do that if we're so little? Why are you mindful of man? For God to be mindful of man means God loves us and plans for us. That's <laughs> pretty awesome. That's amazing. It is. What's the other scripture? Psalm one fifteen twelve. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. All right. Godful is mindful. God's mindfulness is proven in His plan again, and that's a that's a, a specific promise of God's mindfulness toward Israel. So and Rick, uh, priorities. We need to make a plan and be purposeful yes. in our lives, yeah. in our Christian lives. To be purposeful is to be mindful. So uh, for us to be mindful, the obvious uh, opposite is mindless. For us to be mindful is a deliberate investment of time and effort into identifying what requires our mindfulness and why. So the scriptures also tell us that we should be mindful as God is mindful. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 7. Let's go to 1 and 2 first. This now, beloved, a second letter to you I write, in both which I stir up your pure mind in reminding you to be mindful of the saying said before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, 
of the Lord and Savior. Okay, to be mindful of the sayings of the prophets and the sayings of the apostle. To be mindful. To, be, to, to make a deliberate investment of time and effort into identifying uh, what this, these things are about. Make a deliberate, clear-cut effort to understand them. Be mindful of those sayings. Why? Verses 3 and 4. This first knowing that there shall come in latter days scoffers according to their own desires going on and saying, Where is the promise of his presence? For since the fathers did fall asleep, all things so remain from the beginning of the creation. So the apostle saying you have to be mindful because you're going to be tested. And if you're not ready for the test, then you will be stumbled by the test and you will fall in the midst of the test and your Christianity will fall apart. So part of our Christianity, you have to have that vision, that captivating vision, and then the priorities, the mindfulness to understand what's most important and why is it most important. You know, with priorities, Jonathan, we may not get them right the first time, but as long as our vision is strong and it's scriptural and it's spiritual, we can reset. And, and, you know, and, and, and sometimes we decide to spend our time in a certain way, you know, because we think it's going to be honoring to God. And we find out later on that, you know what, that really wasn't the best idea. That's OK. But, that's, but that is OK. And, and I like the word reset. Yes. It's a new beginning. Start over. Try again. Don't give up. Right. It, 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 I love reset. And to reset gives us a sense of 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 growth. And, and taking maybe a mistake and turning it into a stepping stone. And, and that's a huge thing. And that, that brings us to our fourth time management tool. And what is that? Mindfully setting priorities based on vision is the foundation of life. The very foundation of life is mindfully setting priorities. If we do it with intention, intentionality, with, with, with that clear, clear-cut thinking that you were talking about of making sure that we're doing things for the right reasons and we're absorbing those things based on our vision, then that mindfulness and those priorities can actually play a really important role in our everyday Christian lives. And that's what is important. Our lives as Christians should not be a waste. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Is My Christianity a Waste of Time? Coming up, now that we have vision and priorities in place, what is the secret to living them? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, Is My Christianity a Waste of Time? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Go to our website and become a Twitter follower and to learn about upcoming episodes and new updates posted. Our website has over 500 archived programs. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Lots to see, lots to do, and if you are truly looking to enhance your Christianity, it will not be a waste of time. Christian Questions, 
Com. Jonathan, just a couple of quick comments uh, from, um, I'm not sure if the chat board or, or, or the app or whatever, but uh, one comment is, is uh, says, here's something that helps me use my experiences, especially the really challenging ones that seem to last forever, to put them in perspective. And then it quotes a scripture. After all you have suffered for a little while, and then in parentheses says, a little while means puny in Greek, the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's 1 Peter 5.10. So what the writer is saying is this puny time of challenge and suffering is fleeting and unrepeatable. So it is, and so it's precious, and may we use it to his glory. Nice. You know, I never knew that the word after you've suffered for a little while, little while means this puny amount of time. Just You suffered for just a moment, really, and that's all. But it's a precious moment. It's a moment full of learning. Another, another uh, chat board comment is, my favorite theme is Colossians 3.23. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And... Do all things as unto the Lord. Right. So that has a lot to do with the priority, and it mm-hmm. has a lot to do with, with the vision, the big vision, and then the priorities of what are the first things first. So a few, a few final words about priorities before we go on to the next uh, what we need to do kind of thing. These few, few final words about priority. Are, when, when we look at uh, those who just seem to naturally have it all together, and you look at those and say, well, you know, they don't have to work at getting it right because look at them. It's just, they're just, it's just it comes natural to them. Here's the thing. The appearance of effortless service comes only as a result of practice, pain, and perseverance, all of which must result from the right focus and the right activity. We have to invest our time into mindful prioritizing. And just because someone seems to have it all all right doesn't mean you look at them and say, well, that's easy for them. No. Practice, practice, practice. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so when we have truly established our priorities based on the big picture, the vision, there will naturally develop a deep sense of urgency because nothing will be more important than following through on that which is proven to be most important. So urgency, Jonathan, what is urgency? The application of focused energy for a very specific purpose. Okay. The application of focused energy for a very specific purpose. And I want, I want to take a moment and define urgency in contrast to panic or to rushing through something. Because a lot of times we think that if we're panicked, oh, we become urgent. Or if we're rushing, it's because it's urgent. Those are completely different. You see... Urgency isn't necessarily fast. When you are urgent about something, it's not that you're doing it fast. It's that you're doing it deliberately, clearly, with focus, with... Thoughtfully. Yes, mindfully. Mindfully. With the clear-cut objective of what has to happen. And, and I think that when you, when you hear about people who react in times of, uh, of great uh, a trauma... And, you know, there's things that have to be done. They all say the same thing. It's like the world slowed down. And I knew exactly what I had to do and was able to go and do things step by step by step. That's urgency. It's not rushing. It's not panic. It's something deliberate. Urgency is deliberate. Um, 
Okay, with that in mind, let's go to Mr. Jellybean, not you, the other guy. Uh, the, the, the time you you have in Jelly Beans uh, from Z Frank, and we're going to wrap up this little story. I thought we were going to wrap it up, and here we go. This is the time that we have left. Time for laughing, swimming, making art, going on hikes, text messages, reading, checking Facebook, playing softball, maybe even teaching yourself how to play the guitar. So what are you going to do with this time? How much of it do you think you've already used up? If you only had half of it, what would you do differently? What about half of that? How much time have you already spent worrying instead of doing something that you love? What if you just had one more day? What are you going to do today? Makes you think, doesn't it? It does. Value the time that you have. And to value something is to put it into a place of, of um, uh, sanctification. I can't think of, of, of a different word in, in your life. To, to set it apart. When you value something, you set it apart. You know, you value your spouse. You set them apart from the rest of the world in, in how you deal and, and, and communicate with them versus everyone else. It's different. Value that those those moments that you have because they really really can be precious parts of making your christian life something incredible something exciting something inspirational something full of growth something as an example and not just a waste of time so urgently strain forward towards that which is most valuable philippians chapter 3 12 to 16 not that i have already obtained it or have already become perfect but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So here the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, the productive, energizer apostle, of all apostles, he had the, the, he had focus. He had discipline. He had energy. He he never stopped. He's saying, "Look, it's not like I've already obtained or I've become perfect, but I press on that I might lay hold of." He is, and so he wasn't running so fast that he got out of breath. He was running fast enough to keep making progress. That's urgency. That's what he's talking about here. Verses fourteen to sixteen. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. So he's saying, you know, in the previous verses, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, I reach forward, and I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call. I am continually working toward reaching that. He's not assuming that he reached it. He's not assuming that everything is just good for him because, hey, I'm the Apostle Paul, and I've got special uh, 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 calling, and, and everything's good with me. He is working and working and working. Here, here we can see the vision and priorities in place and the deep urgency to fulfill them. Without urgency... Vision and priorities are just theoretical. Kind of like a New Year's resolutions, Rick. Yes, exactly. 
<laughs> New Year's resolutions are just that. They're theoretical. They're yes. a thought that comes into your mind about something you'd like to change. And you say, oh, it's New Year's. That must mean it's a good time to change this. And I've always wanted to change this. So you know what? I'm going to resolve to change this. There's no urgency. There's no vision. And there are no priorities in that. It's theoretical. It's a nice idea. And, we, and here's the thing, Jonathan. Too often, we can get stuck in the idea of Christianity rather than the life of a Christian. And if we want our Christian life to not be a waste of time, we have to put away the idea of Christianity and grab hold of what it means to live the life of a true Christian, and that means the investment of your time, the urgent investment of your time. That's for sure. And that's hard. <laughs> it is. It is. In this busy day that we're all exhausted when we come home from work. Well, and isn't that where some of the greatest challenges lie, is that we live in a world that is not nearly as physically demanding as the world used to be for most of us, but it seems to be much more exhausting. And we got to figure out how to manage that. We welcome all comments or questions. Even if you disagree with us, give us a call. We're live at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. So, Jonathan, last segment I mentioned uh, the, the, the word mindful as a, as, a, as a real revelation for me about learning to be mindful rather than mindless in relation to the decisions and thoughts and, and actions in my own life. Well, now we're going to talk about a few other words. <laughs> All right, that are a little, <laughs> yes, bit, are. little bit different. <laughs> the Old Testament frequently used the words slothful and sluggard <laughs> to <laughs> contrast idleness with urgency. These words are defined as indolent. That's the actual definition. That's a word we don't use too often. And, and that word simply means an inclination to be lazy. So the idea of slothful and sluggard is an inclination to be lazy. And let's take a look at some sloths and sluggards uh, of scriptural <laughs> record, starting with Proverbs 6, uh, 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? <laughs> when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. <laughs> you know, when you started that, I thought you were starting to freeze up. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> like, oh, no, he's freezing up. What do I do? And then you just kept on going. I said, wait, wait, this is intentional. <laughs> but you're right. It's like living life in slow motion. It is. It's like not having the... Ab have you ever had, had it where you have a dream and in the dream, you can't reach whatever it is you're trying to reach. And just like, you just, and just, and you just can't do it. That's what, that's what being a sluggard is. It's that, te that tendency toward just being lazy uh, in, 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 in our daily experiences. And these examples of what not to do should be received as loud and obnoxious alarms to vacate the premises. <laughs> 
You're right. You don't want to live there. You don't want to live in the life of a sluggardly individual. Now, I don't know if sluggardly is a word, but I just proclaimed it so. You know, if you have that vision ahead of you, that should motivate you to not to be lazy. And you, you need to put your priorities in place so that you won't. And then put that urgency. to keep us away from being lazy and 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 so you need all three of those things you need the vision the priorities and the urgency without the three we're going to get stuck these are three things that we absolutely need in our christian lives we're going to go to a soundbite now uh from a speech that steve jobs gave um i think it was a graduation speech it was it's don't waste your time um this we got from uh, YouTube from Simpson Productions. Now, Steve Jobs, I believe, passed away in 2011. Died very young. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. And he's very blunt. He knew he was dying when he gave this speech. Listen to the bluntness with which he approaches living and dying in this particular speech. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It made an impression on me, and since then, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. Takes guts to talk like that, man. That's brilliant. And uh, yeah, and he sp- said that to young people, and he told them basically face the idea of dying and just live live with that that abandon that says i've got things to accomplish that's what our christianity is supposed to be see urgency doesn't produce perfection of action but it does produce action and this action represents a necessary investment of time just like we've been talking about even if the investment lacks polish and grace it's still important and even if you mess up you've invested your time wisely and urgently and you can learn from it and then reinvest the next portion of time with the basis of that previous learning. See, success and sacrifice is most often born out of failure. To fail with great intention over and over again is to live in the hand of God's mercy. And that is success. See, that is is how we as Christians should be investing our time so our Christianity is not a waste of time. Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. You know, one important thing about that verse, Jonathan, is you only fall and rise when you're moving. (laughs) Good point. Yes. (laughs) So the urgency of moving forward, you don't have to be moving forward at breakneck speed, but you have to be moving forward to at break monotony speed. That's what we have to be doing. It's not breakneck speed. It's break monotony speed so we can accomplish the things that our Christianity has got for us to accomplish. Management tool number five is what? 
To be urgent and yet imperfect in action is to press our priorities to the forefront. This step redefines our time, for our time is now in the service of our life's vision. And that is such an important thing. This step, to be urgent, even if we're not perfect. And, and I want to stress that, Jonathan, because a lot of times we feel like, well, I'm not going to do this if, unless I can really do it really well. Believe Action. Me. Take one. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now look, and, and you know, you brought up Christian questions from 19 years ago. When we started, we didn't have any sense of trying to be perfect. We just tried to survive. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. It was a matter, let's get through this hour without completely embarrassing ourselves. So at least we have a shred of dignity left. <laughs> and you do it True. again and again and again, and you begin to learn from all of that. So vision, priorities, and urgency are the necessary elements that we have to have in place to wisely invest our time. Again, as Christians, we don't want to be wasting our time. We shouldn't be looking at our Christianity and asking ourselves the question, is my Christianity a waste of time? If you're thinking that, then you're in love with the idea of Christianity rather than the life of Christianity. And Rick, I love the next hour is going to be talking about the how-tos and the practical part of this, this uh, lesson. So what we've done in the first hour is we've talked about a lot of the, the basics. What? What do you need to do? You need to have vision. You need to have priorities, and you need to have urgency. And with those things in place, we can then look at what's required uh, in the second hour of, okay, I've got all of these things. Well, then how do I build on them? What do I do with that vision? What do I do with those priorities? And what do I do with that urgency to make it part of my every single day of my Christian life? Folks, again, I know I sound like a broken record, but if you're asking yourself, is my Christianity a waste of time? You are in love with the idea of Christianity rather than the life of a Christian. We want to be in love with the life of a Christian, all that it means and all that it can bring us to because it is the most phenomenal life you could ever imagine to live. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we will be back just in a moment to continue this incredible discussion on, about our Christian time and effort. Don't go away. Think about it. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Benjamin Franklin once said, Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for that is the stuff life is made of. Good evening, welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, tonight's, today's topic is such a valuable, valuable subject to uh, put on the table. You're right, Rick. Our question is, is my Christianity a waste of time? And our theme text is found in Psalms chapter 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So teach us to number our days. When you number your days, you are paying attention to your days, and each day has an inherent value. 
That's what we must do in terms of making our Christian lives valuable and not look at our Christianity as a potential waste of time. So, so Jonathan, in the first hour, there were, uh, there were three things that we spoke about very briefly, the, the things that we need in order to make our Christian lives not a waste of time, but a, a very valuable investment of time. What are they? Well, Rick, the first is vision, the all-encompassing picture that captures the imagination. All right, vision, that that captivating thing that you have in your mind that draws you. And it's the glory of God. It's the sacrifice of Jesus. It's God's plan. Those are all part of our grand and glorious vision as a Christian. Next, priorities, the necessary ordering of the details of our life. If we don't put the details of life in order, we will not be able to be successful in our Christian life. You just have to have priorities. And lastly, urgency. The application of focused energy for a very specific purpose. And Jonathan, just I, urgency is not moving fast, but it's moving deliberately and clearly. And just let's take a, a quick little moment and uh, go to... Uh, a verse of a song that just kind of puts you in the mood for looking at time and the value of time and what it can mean to us. If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Is to save every day Till eternity passes away just to spend them with you If I could make days last forever If words could make wishes come true I'd save every day like a treasure And then again I would spend them with you But there never seems to be enough time to do the things And Rick, I like the next line. Uh, you look around. Uh, you're the one I want to go through time with. Right. You know, I love that phrase because especially if the Lord is in your life, you're the you're the one I want to serve for all my days, for all that you've done for me. And that's being in love with a Christian life, not the idea of Christianity. And, and it's such a such a beautiful song because it it, and, it, it captures the heart. And Jim Croce, he died at what, about age 30, you were saying? I think so. Some, something like that. It was really, uh, he was such an incredibly talented individual, too. Incredible. He was. But um, so, just again, to get that, the, the emotional side of, of looking at the preciousness of time in our minds as we go through this. And there were several, there were five time management tools that we discussed or touched on very briefly in the uh, last hour, Jonathan. Let's go through those quickly. What were they? Our use of our time directly dictates our quality of life. This is a simple, basic truth. Once we get that truth and we understand it, boy, we can really make decisions that can positively affect ourselves. Valuing and using our precious time is wisdom from the inside out. And God wants us to be wise. Continually looking for what we have chosen to focus on will narrow our focus and therefore lessen distraction. Because our world is so full of distraction, we have to be continually looking for that big vision over and over again, and that's how we can keep distractions at a minimum, because we're focusing on something bigger. Mindfully setting priorities 
based on vision is the very foundation of life. Versus mindlessly going along with the flow and feeding your mind all kinds of junk. To be urgent and yet imperfect in action is to press our priorities to the forefront. This step redefines our time for our time is now in the service of our life's vision. So we want to redefine our time. And urgency does that because even if we're not perfect in our urgency, we need to be deliberate and then we shape it up and reset it as we go, figuring it out and trying to to get better. I want to go to another quick soundbite. We're going to come back to this uh, several times in this this hour from Tristan Harris, uh, Design for Time Well Spent. Uh, um, And... Well, let me just, we're just going to go through his, his introduction because he touches on some things that are very, very powerful in understanding our time and our world. So let's just listen for a moment here. One thing I spend a lot of time thinking about is where I spend my time and where I spend my attention. I spend a lot of time thinking about where my time goes. And one question I think about a lot is, is where I spend my attention in a day or in your day, reflective of what you care about. Think about the hours, the minutes, the seconds. Where your attention is spent, does that reflect a conscious choice about what you care about, or is something else going on? That's a profound question. It is. It really is. That also makes me think, Rick, of a young person looking for a career that's a Christian. You want to devote your life to God, but you need to choose a career wisely. What kind of career would you choose where you wouldn't take so much time in your work day that you don't have any time to serve the Lord? I'm thinking like if you're a doctor, think of all the hours and the dedication of working 18-hour shifts or whatnot. How much time do you have to dedicate to the the Lord? How about a, a restaurant owner that never leaves the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Probably yeah. has a cot there at night. It's priorities. Where are your priorities? And so, and that that's an important question. And whatever stage of our Christianity we are at, we need to be able to ask ourselves those, those questions. And if we are in a job or in a situation that is drawing us away from God, we have to ask ourselves, is this where I should be staying? And those are hard questions. But again, are you in love with the idea of Christianity or are you in love with a Christian life? That's really what we want to get to. So we, we talked about the things that we, um, things we need, the, uh, the vision, the priorities, and the urgency in the first hour. Now we're going to talk about three things, three how-tos, okay? How do you get those things working in your life? You know, you jumpstart them. And the first part of this, Jonathan, is inspiration. What is inspiration? Well, Rick, it's that which feeds and lifts the heart so that it may overcome. Inspiration changes your physiology. Inspiration lifts you to a level that you weren't at before. It makes you move forward. It gives you greater strength. It gives you something bigger. It just, it, it, it helps you take important steps. Inspiration works best when we have someone whose struggle can be observed. We need to be inspired. We truly need to be inspired. So let's take a look at um, the, the Apostle Paul in some, in some of his experiences. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And Jonathan, as we go through this, I want to lay out the difference between awe and inspiration because there's, a, there's an important difference between the two. So we're going to sort of sidetrack onto that as we go through these verses. 
because of the surpassing greatness of this revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So, first of all, um, the reality the Apostle Paul shares here is startling. He needs trials to keep his focus pure. But see, here's the thing. He needed those trials because he was given something really spectacular. He wasn't just given uh, the normal Christian ability to see and understand and absorb Scripture and to grow and mature in Christ. He was given specific revelations that were different. And those, when, we look, when you and I look at those things, we're in awe of that. We are. You look at that and say, man, that is incredible what it must have been like to have those revelations because they were so different than the, reg- than, than the body of Christ. And you look at that, and, and, that's what, and you're in awe of it. You see the grace of God, and you say, oh, and it's amazing. I'm just speechless. I don't know what to say. That's what awe is. So now what's inspiration? Let's get to now how inspiration works. Verse, uh, verse, uh, verses 8 and 9. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Here is the inspiration. You see, you see the revelations and you're in awe of how that works. The inspiration comes when the Apostle Paul went before God and said, I, you know, remove this thorn from me so I can serve you even better. And the, and the voice of Jesus came to him saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That inspires us. Because now, inspiration comes from seeing how the grace of God becomes powerful. So all comes from seeing the power of the grace of God. Inspiration comes from seeing how it gets there. Because that's what we can relate to, is how it gets there. We may not be able to relate to the end result. You know, I can't relate to Moses, you know, holding up his staff and the, and the, and the Red Sea parting. Uh, sorry, beyond me. <laughs> but you can relate to the 40 years of experience to develop Moses to become that most humble man in all of the earth, to be able to manage such incredible power from God. That's inspiration. It's how the grace of God gets there versus awe being just seeing the grace of God in action. So the apostles' uh, trials inspired him to a closer, closer walk in Jesus' footsteps. And what's his conclusion? Let's finish these verses. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, we can read those words, and we can find inspiration. His inspiration is our inspiration. This is but one of many examples that the Scriptures put out to uh, inspire us. We're looking at today's mainstream and biblical topics from several different angles. We couldn't do it without our great supporters. Join our conversation by calling now. We're live and look forward to talking with you. 866-985-4255. So, Jonathan, as we look at inspiration, what we need to realize and understand is that it is an incredibly important part of Scripture and and it's there because we need it. It's there so that we can draw from it because God understands that the human frame needs to see something and be a part of something 
bigger than ourselves so that we can really, really grasp the import of what it's, it, what it's really talking about. So very, very, very important part of our Christian lives. Jonathan, we have a call, and we'll go to that call. Looks like we've got Julius on the line from Connecticut. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Hello? Okay, I don't know. Um, Julius, we're not hearing you. Uh, I apologize for that. We're going to have to see if you can um, give us a call back. Jonathan, that uh, there seems to be some problem with that call. We apologize for that. Um, we're talking about inspiration um, and the important part of it being a, a, an integral part of a, of a Christian life that is actually viable, vibrant, and growing, and, and moving towards victory, actually. Let, let's go back to um, Steve Jobs' uh, um, speech. Now, he's dying when he's giving this speech. I think this may have been the last speech or one of the final speeches he gave actually before he died. So listen carefully. This is, these are the words of a dying man who accomplished great, great things in his life. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet, death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will truly become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Again, very, very powerful words from a dying man to try and inspire young people to step out, step up, be brave. And we should take those words in terms of our own Christianity. Step out, step up, and be brave. Live the life of a true Christian. Jesus inspires us to see, to, uh, see through our trials to grasp victory. Uh, Ephesians 5, 1-2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And that's such a, a powerful verse. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, just as Christ loved you. We've got the example. Follow the example. Follow through on it. Look, inspiration is not necessarily delivered and exhilaration and victory. On the contrary, inspiration is often found in those lonely and desperate times of struggle, doubt, and fear, and it quietly carries you through your present tempest to where you can again find secure footing. That's what inspiration does for a true Christian. That's what we should be looking for. Time management tool number six, Jonathan, on inspiration. Inspiration liberally applied to our urgent investment of time provides the positive desire to fully engage in that investment. See, inspiration 
really is something that has a lot of emotion involved in it. It is a very emotional thing. That's what inspiration is. And you've got to take that emotion and direct it. But you can't direct emotion without the vision, without the priorities, and without the urgency. So inspiration provides us with the desire to rekindle our vision, reset our priorities, and restart our urgency. But inspiration alone cannot keep us there. Because inspiration, for, for it to truly play a part, uh, play its part, I'm sorry, in our use of our time, it must be accompanied by its lesser known and certainly less attractive younger brother. So inspiration has a younger brother. We're going to find out what that is, aren't we? Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Just understand that inspiration, as important and as powerful as it is, isn't where things end for the Christian. It's actually where they begin. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Is My Christianity a Waste of Time? Coming up. So who is Inspiration's younger brother? Is he really less attractive? (laughs) That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, Is My Christianity a Waste of Time? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. You can now message us on your smartphone app during the program, and we'll try to share your comment on air. All right. So all this talk about Inspiration's younger brother, huh? (laughs) Well, before we introduce Inspiration's Younger Brother, uh, there's a great quote from Henry David Thoreau. It's not enough to be busy. So are the ants. The question is, what are we busy about? When we have our conversations with one another and the phrase comes slipping out, oh, you know, I'm just so busy. I just, you know, just life is busy. You got to ask yourself, okay, stop, freeze frame that, 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 that statement and say, what causes that? What are the elements that make my life so busy? And are they worthwhile? Are they in line, any of them, in line with my vision, my priorities, my urgency, and my inspiration? Uh, before we go to the younger brother of inspiration, he's a great younger brother, incidentally. He may be a little <laughs> less attractive, but he's a great younger brother. <laughs> I want to go back to Tristan Harris again, design time, uh, design for time well spent. And in this, it, he's going to be talking about getting a message from a friend of his on Facebook that a photo of him is being forwarded to his friend's Facebook uh, contacts, whatever they're called. So, you know, and that's an experience a lot of people have. And so that's the context of what he's about to say in this next soundbite. I'll give me an example. All of us face this. This email shows up, and it's one of the most compelling emails a human being can receive. Right? Um, <clears throat> oh, my God. Okay, so my social approval, my social acceptance and rejection, my vanity are all on the line when this email shows up. Except I'm not just going to click see photo. I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes. <laughs> 
And we're all laughing because we know that it's true. And except that that 20 minutes of my precious attention, which is like the thing that I have on earth to allocate towards what I care about, that just got seduced away, right? Or, you know, for example, uh, I'll find myself, I probably did this 10 seconds ago, uh, pull to refresh my email, and then less than 60 seconds later, I'll pull to refresh again. But, like, think about that. Like, we do this all the time, and it's crazy, because it's not like we actually think that some really important new email is about to appear in the next minute, right? Like, it's strange, and we're doing it. We check our phones 150 times a day. So, all right, so, you know, he's talking about, you know, seeing this, this, this message that is a, such, a, such a vanity pleaser that your, your photo is being forwarded, and, and, you know, now you're going to spend b- a bunch of time looking at it and seeing where it's going and admiring it, and oh, da 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 How easily... Does our precious time get seduced away like this? Rick, are we a slave to our cell phone? <laughs> yep. you, hear, you hear a ring, ding. When, when you hear a notification sound, you don't need to jump up right away <laughs> and grab it. You don't have to say, oh, this is the most important thing while you're in the middle of a conversation with someone else. Say, oh, excuse me. I need to get this. Are we a slave? And I know when I said ring, ding, what you were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Um, we and, and and that's the problem. See, the problem is that we end up uh, responding to that moment rather than staying focused on what the important things. Exactly. And it gets right in our way. So how do you avoid that kind of thing? Well, inspiration's little brother to the rescue, Jonathan. What's his name? Perspiration. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got some explaining to do. The results of the continuous exertion that stems from being fully engaged. Inspiration is an important and viable uh, part of a Christian life. Perspiration is just as important because it's the result of continuous exertion that stems from being fully engaged in something that's important. We need to understand spiritual perspiration. And you think, oh, yuck. But no, no, no. This is important stuff. First Peter 5, verses 6 through 9. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Okay, now that doesn't, uh, that doesn't sound like... There's too much perspiring going on there because there is rest in the spirit. You know, humble yourselves, okay. And it's, it's kind of like saying, be quiet. God cares for you. Settle down. Relax. It's okay. And this is all true. And this is all encouraging. And this is all important. Yet, let's go on with the verse. 1 Peter 5 now, verses 8 and 9. Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So that verse 7 is such a peaceful, calm verse. Cast all your care. You, you Read it, Jonathan, with that really deep, caring, powerful voice. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you? 
and you 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 just kind of like melt into the into the security of that verse. And then the next verse says, "Be alert, be careful, be sober. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith." I mean, this is a fight verse. Yeah, it is. And when you're in a fight, you sweat because you are fully engaged against the enemy. And if you start to divert your attention to the left or to the right and you stop focusing on defeating the enemy, you will lose. So this is a sweat verse. The, the previous verse was sort of a swoon into, into spiritual uh, uh, security verse. But this is a sweat verse. Anytime we're instructed to do anything with firmness, the effort implied is great and requires significant time and significant attention. It's this type of effort that makes us sweat. Well, Rick, why do I have to sweat? I'm <laughs> saved. Isn't that enough? I'm a Christian. I'm good. Okay. Right? You're yes, you are. You are good at this as a starting point. But again, are we in love with the idea of Christianity? And and look, the idea of Christianity is God loves me. Jesus loves me. They'll take care of me. Ah, wonderful. That's the idea. But Jonathan, that's only the beginning. The work comes in fighting off the adversary, in building one another up in this most holy faith, in denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus. That's where the work comes. And make no mistake, it is hard, hard work work. And if we don't invest our time into the hard work of Christianity, we will not receive the blessing of mature Christianity. It just, it it can't happen. So no, you're not okay. You're not. It's a great place to start, but you, nobody ever ends the race where they start. Okay. You, you, you got, you got to cross the finish line. Now look, somebody can say, well, if you're on a round track, you end where you start. No, it becomes the finish line. So don't play (laughs) games with me. (laughs) So, so why should we be willing to sweat? Because replacing that with, uh, which is old with newness of life is difficult. It's hard. It's a task and it requires much effort. Philippians chapter three, verses seven through 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. For more than that, I count all things to be loss in the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Okay, so again, the Apostle Paul, and we talked about him previously, the great Apostle Paul, who had done so much, who had been so many places, who had encouraged so many brethren, he says, he's talking to the to brotherhood and saying, look, the things that were gained to me, I they're lost for the sake of Christ. Uh, you know, the surpassing knowledge of Jesus is is you can't even put in the same category as all of the, quote, greatness that I may have had in the past. And remember, the Apostle Paul was a pretty popular guy. He was. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He he had a lot of credentials, Rick. Yes. Uh, it, it, Judaism would look at him as one of the top tier of those that understood the Torah and was dedicated yes. to God. And so he's saying, look, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm going past those things. So let's finish now. Verses 9 through 11. And may be found in him, not having righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So the Apostle Paul is looking at the conforming that happened in his past and saying, I conformed to the wrong things before, and now I am bent on conforming to Christ, being conformed to his death in order that I can maintain, uh, attain to the resurrection, because that's the value of my Christianity. It's something bigger than this life. It's Remember in the first hour we were talking about, okay, your life is 79 years, 80 years, whatever it is, and Psalm 90 showed us how small that is. The Apostle Paul is telling us that to be in love with the life of a Christian, not the idea of Christianity, but to be in love with the life of a Christian is to be in love with the idea, the reality of eternal life. But that means sacrifice and perspiration along the way. Nothing replaces hard work. Hard work takes time. We hear the adage, work smarter and not harder, and that's true. But for the Christian, we're to work smarter through the Spirit and therefore be able to work harder and more productively at those things of greatest importance. And this is where spiritual sweat comes in. And yeah, you know, you can, you can put on a little bit of a deodorant so it smells better, but look, sweat <laughs> is sweat, okay? And it, you've got to be willing to sweat for the sake of Christ. We're live. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love your feedback. Give us a call at 866-985-4255 or leave a comment at christianquestions.com. Okay. So uh, it's all about perspiration. It's all about putting ourselves in a position of, of uh, making sure that we are focusing, focusing our lives Hang on a second, Jonathan. Sorry, I was trying to reach for something. I couldn't reach it. Focusing our lives on that which is most important and showing the focus by the effort. And that effort is provable by the spiritual sweat. Sounds gross, but it really makes a point. Inspiration is fed by perspiration. See, inspiration gets the perspiration started because insp <laughs> inspiration is the kickstart. That's right. It motivates. Right. And see, if it's just an emotional thing, then it's not something we can we can focus on. Jonathan, we've got a phone call. We've got William from Florida on the line. And uh, good evening, William, and welcome to Christian Questions. Hey, how you guys doing today? Doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, just to add on to what you all are saying, it would take a uh, tremendous amount of discipline and this would apply whether you're talking about, you know, you're trying to be a doctor or some, any type of uh, anything you want to be. But as far as a Christian, it would take a tremendous amount of discipline. And, it, and to get this discipline, you would have to have a tremendous amount of, um, um, a tremendous amount of, of maturity to get to that point. But, to, you know, as far as time management, and as I say, it would, whether you're talking about being a doctor, being a Christian, being a plumber, whatever you want to be, to be a good whatever, it would take that discipline. Thank you. You guys are doing a great job, and uh, we'll keep on listening. All right, William. Thanks for, the, thanks for the analogy. Thanks for the thought, and you are so right. The discipline is what makes our Christianity valuable. 
Have a have a good night, sir. Your caller hung. So, Jonathan, it really is a very valuable uh, experience that William was relating. He's saying, look, whatever it is you decide to dedicate your life to, whether it's your Christianity or a doctor or a plumber or whatever, it just takes discipline. It takes time. It takes effort. And Christianity is no different than any of those things. Let's go back to uh, Tristan Harris, Designed for Time Well Spent. Uh, and uh, Jonathan, at this point, he's actually talking about um, he's actually talking about phones like you were talking about. Well, I'll give you a hint why this is happening. Um, what do you think makes more money in the United States than movies, baseball, and theme parks or game parks combined? Slot machines. So, Deanna just mentioned this. Um, slot machines make more money than all of those. And not talking about all of casinos, we're talking about just slot machines, which is crazy because they're played with coins, not dollar bills. And the thing about this is that my phone is a slot machine. Every time I check my phone, I'm playing the slot machine to see what am I going to get, right? Every time I'm checking my email, I'm playing the slot machine to see what am I going to get. Every time I scroll a news feed, I'm playing the slot machine to see what am I going to get next. Every time you use a dating app, you're playing the slot machine to see if you got a match, right? This is like ubiquitous. So, Jonathan, there's the answer. You know, you said, you know, why do we end up getting stuck with uh, the, the experience of our phones? Because they're, they're like gambling. They're addictive. They are, Rick. You're right. You know, what am I going to get from this? What is, gonna, what is going to fulfill me when you hear the, the ring or the ding or the ring ding? And, uh, <laughs> and what, how is it going to, to make my life more exciting at this moment? And we drop and we move our attention away from that which is important to that which is what he, he said, which is ubiquitous, which means it's everywhere. It just, it just keeps coming back and back and back. It's very seductive, isn't it? It is. And, and that's the problem is that we live in a world of seduction, and our Christianity has to stand up against that. Combating the commonplace seductions of life is time and sweat well invested. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So again, the Apostle Paul is telling us that he is pressing on. He's not slowing down. He's not stopping. He says, look, I, haven't, I have not yet gotten there. I've got work to do. So the Apostle Paul and all of the sweat that he has produced already in his, in his Christian life says, I am not nearly done, and I'm going to continue to work and work and work. And Jonathan, the thing is this. The more fully engaged we are in the work, the more we will find that the greatest effort is often not the work itself, rather it is the effort to position and condition ourselves for that work. Position and condition ourselves for that work. And I can tell you flat out with Christian questions, the greatest effort is not the two-hour podcast. That's the most fun. Okay. <laughs> How many hours does it take to get to that point? <laughs> well, well, and that, and that, and that's the greatest effort because there's maybe ten, maybe twelve hours of of work and preparation that goes into that. And you know, time is just not like laying out there saying, "Oh, use me up. Here I am." You have to fight for the time, and that's where the greatest effort is. And 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 once you put that effort in, though, 
then we get to do this part and this is like woohoo let's, <laughs> let, let's just let's just bask in the glory of what we have to offer because it's all scriptural time management tool number seven is what jonathan Rick, it's focused hard work on what is important is the best remedy for the seductive slot machines of life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> focused hard work on what's important. That's what we really have to, 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 to understand. Focused hard work, it produces sweat. So look, with perspiration or with the perspiration of complete engagement in place, there remains but one thing to give us a complete picture of redeeming our time, of making our Christian, Christian life a valuable, valuable, valuable life. The one thing is a simple thing, yet it's often overlooked when we set our minds to a service. So, Jonathan, this next item is something that's simple and probably kind of boring when you think about it, in relation to something like inspiration. Of course, perspiration wasn't exciting as inspiration either, so what do you expect? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Is My Christianity a Waste of Time? Coming up, inspiration and perspiration working together. What more could anyone ask for? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, Is My Christianity a Waste of Time? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, as we are focusing on our Christian lives, and we're asking the question, was my Christianity a waste of time? Well, look, are you in love with the idea of Christianity, or are you you in love with the life of a Christian? There's a huge difference, because the life of a Christian, it requires work and effort, and we just spent the last segment talking about perspiration, and we've got to sweat in our Christianity— and we live in a world that's full of seductive uh, temptations that are everywhere. And technology <laughs> supplies us with some of the greatest ones. So again, let's go back to Tristan Harris' design uh, for time well spent and hear a little, few more of his comments on the scroll wheel of seduction. Um, one of my friends is the uh, lead designer of the very original Facebook newsfeed in 2007. And she told me a story that one of the things that made the newsfeed successful was a hardware innovation. And I looked at her like, you mean you're just talking about the scrollable list of stories, right? And she said, yeah, but it was because of the ubiquitous introduction of scroll wheels on mice and double finger scrolling on trackpads that many of you have in the audience, that your hand never has to leave its resting position. So you can just scroll. And it's the exact same thing they found with slot machines, that when your hand doesn't have to leave its resting position, people stay there a lot longer. So this is incredibly, incredibly seductive. And the thing we don't often talk about is that in an attention economy, whether you're building a meditation app or an addictive game 
or something that civically engages people, you're still competing for the same finite resource that we all have, which is attention. And the best way to get attention is to seduce people's social psychological instincts, right? To build a habit, to trigger someone, to get them to come in, to prolong their engagement, invest, get them to come back. This is like the entire internet game, right? So <laughs> that's pretty depressing what he just said. It is, Rick. <laughs> because it gives you a sense that, you know, you don't stand a chance. When he's talking about the, the, the scroll wheel seduction, that little scroll wheel on the mouse, or the, you know, the, you don't, your, your hand does not have to leave its resting place, and you can, you can do all of this searching and searching, and it just captivates you. The world captivates you. Christ motivates us, but the world captivates us. The question is, does the motivation of Christ have enough power to release us from the captivation of the world and from technology? That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. It so, is. So um, We are seduced by so many temptations out there, Rick. It's Satan loves to distract the true Christian that is following in Jesus' footsteps. Anything he can do to knock them off course, he'll do it. Absolutely, absolutely. So technology has made the seductive process of stealing away our attention and therefore our time easy, enjoyable, and addictive. Great. That's just what you need, right? Unless we're prepared, we don't stand a chance. And that's where the third how-to becomes such an incredibly important part of this whole process. So we have inspiration that gets you going, perspiration that, you, that, that, that keeps you going, and now what's this third piece and what does it mean? Consistency, Rick. The continual long-term application of all those things necessary towards faithfulness. Okay. The continual long-term application of all those things necessary. Keep on keeping on. Day after day after day after day. And that's what makes a true Christian life valuable and not a waste of time. If we're using it and, and growing it every single day, how do, we, how do we check ourselves to be sure that we are consistently following the right path, the right thoughts, the right attitudes, the right actions, and the right use of our time? How do well, we? That's a challenge. It is. But the answer comes through what am I consistently doing? What am I consistently thinking? And what am I consistently saying? It really comes through. The answer to that is, okay, well, how am I doing? Where, where's your consistency? Find your consistency, and you will find what drives your life. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8, Jonathan. This, and again, this is another scripture that I've read hundreds of times in my Christian life. And this time around, this jumped up out and said, look at me. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to be consistent. So we're going to break it up in pieces. Philippians 4, 4 to 8, verse 4 to begin with. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay, simple phrase. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, not just some of the time? Right, not just some. Now remember, consistency is reflected in words like all, every, always, because it gives you a sense of again and again and again and again without stop, without break. So the first consistency lesson from Philippians 4 is to rejoice in the Lord 
Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, however you feel. Remember you were talking about you come home from work and you're just dead tired. Yes. Doesn't mean you can't rejoice in the Lord. Now, rejoicing in the Lord isn't doing jumping jacks and, you know, yelling and, you know, re- you know, waving your hands. That's not rejoicing. Rejoicing is that heart communion with Christ to, to, to show your appreciation and to say, I know you're in my life. You can do that even when you're dead tired. So you're right. rejoice in the Lord always. So rejoicing is the first consistency exercise introduced here. Rejoicing is built upon inspiration. It, it just is. Because if we're inspired, we want to rejoice. What's the next verse? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Okay. Let your gentle spirit be known to just the few people that you decide to let your gentle spirit be known to? No, Rick, to all men. So what does that mean? That's consistency. Exactly. Let your gentle... So wherever you go, whomever you're with, whomever you're in front of, or behind, or around, they should see, they should feel that spirit of Christ in you. You don't have to give them a sermon with words. You give them a sermon with life with actions, with reactions, with a smile, with grace, with peace, whatever it is. The consistency exercise uh, in, in our Christ, the, this next, I'm sorry, this next consistency exercise is our Christ-like character, all right? And that's what we just said. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Our character reflects our priorities. Again, if you want to see what your priorities are in life, Look at what your character is revealing to all men around you. That shows you what your priorities are. And you got to understand that if you are a Christian and you're wondering if your Christianity is a waste of time, well, look at your character. See if you're rejoicing. See what, see what you're consistent about. And that's going to speak volumes as to whether you love the idea of Christianity or you are in love with the life of a true Christian. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right, where's the consistency in that verse? Well, Rick, it's but in everything. All right, so not just in the good times do you, do, do you go to God in prayer? Not just when things are going well, you got a raise at work, so you go to God in prayer and thank him for that? In everything. In everything. So if you lost the ups, the downs. So if you lost your job, you go to God with that. In everything. It, you you suffer tragedy in your life. You go to God with that. That's right. See, this consistency exercise is the development of an urgent prayer life. Again, urgent doesn't mean fast or rushed. It means deliberate and clear. That's what urgent is. It is focused in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, named, may be made known to God. That's what this is telling us. Prayer, er, prayer for all things, that is consistency. So we see consistency in the, built upon inspiration with rejoicing. It reflects our, re, our, our priorities in our character, and, and it reflects urgency in our prayer life. Verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So where's the consistency here? Um, all comprehension. It's, all. 
all doesn't surpass some theoretical comprehension of our our lives, but no. it surpasses everything. What is it? The peace of God. This consistency exercise develops our vision through which we're always protected. You see, if you get that the peace of God can surpass everything, your heart and mind is guarded. And if your heart and mind are guarded, then the junk stays out and the spirituality dwells within and you can now begin to really sweat spiritually in a good way. And boy, that's a great exercise. So now you wrap it all up with verses uh, or, or verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So this is the wrap-up, the all-inclusive, base, all-inclusive bases of our thinking. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely. Excellent, worthy of praise. This is where you send your mind. This consistency exercise is about all about perspiration. Because, you know, Jonathan, thinking about these kinds of things doesn't come easily. It's, it doesn't. It's perspiration and effort that it takes to stay above the fray and to stay on target. It's a great quote here from um, Richard Nelson. Never let yesterday use up today. Yesterday, unless it is a stepping stone of growth, ends up being the junk that Satan puts in front of us. Because if we're going to repeat the experiences of yesterday and rehearse them again and again and again and again and again in our minds, we're not using them as a tool of growth. They just become junk in the way, just like the phone. Rick, uh, one of the things that helps me throughout the week is we have a weekday Bible study and then we go to church on Sunday. And it's amazing. If I miss one of those times, it really affects my spirituality those days that I missed it. So I need to plug in. I need to stay connected. And then I'm inspired by others, their examples, their heart and love for the Lord that lifts me back up to where I need to stay consistent. And so what you're doing is you're saying, I consistently plug in so I can remain consistent in my personal life. You got it. All right. See, now here's the thing about consistency. Consistency in an effort is the least glamorous of all its elements. Because, you know, there's no excitement of an idea, no newness of a project, no giddy anticipation of a beginning. Consistency shines in the quiet times of monotony, in the bruised moments of failure, and in the darkness when the unknown and the unsung perseverance of will beckons us to get up one more time and press on by the grace of God. That is where consistency shines out, and that's the difference between loving the idea of Christianity and loving a Christian life. It's in those times of difficulty and darkness. And, and, and Jonathan, in my own experience, I've had many times where it just felt too much and too difficult, and there were too many other things in the way. But God is good, and God is bigger than our trials. And if we can just rest in that, then we can maintain our consistency. And the, what, the, the, the miraculous delivering we have from those things is just so inspirational, and then that whole cycle starts again. And you get inspired, and then you start to perspire, and then you want to be consistent. And then you get inspired, and you start to perspire, and you want to be consistent, and on and on. 
So back to your question, Jonathan, how do you remain consistent when it seems like there's so much work involved because there's too many things to do? Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 10. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. God gave Israel the Sabbath so they could stop, so they could rest, and so they could look up. He gave them the Sabbath so they could stop. Israel had built in rest in their law, and we as Christians can live that built-in rest. Because while we don't celebrate the Sabbath the way Israel did, we have a different kind of Sabbath that we have been given. And it's explained to us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall. So what this is saying is we have been given the rest of Jesus Christ in our lives. So that rest is supposed to be with us all the time. And, and you know, part of what you said about plugging in, I think helps, what, what, I'm, what I'm getting from that is it helps you to find the rest in Christ that you need to cope with the challenges of every day. Absolutely. Because you're going to be with others who are looking for the same thing. Exactly. And and Rick, diligent to enter that rest. There's perspiration there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it takes work. This is a rest that takes a lot of work to find. And let's jump now a couple verses now to Hebrews 4, now down to verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you notice in verse 15, it says, one who's been tempted in all things like as we are. You see, one of the reasons we have such great, deep, powerful confidence in Jesus is because of his consistency. Amen. Because he never wavered, but he was human, and he had the experiences that we have without failure. And we can look at that, and we can look up to that and say, he understands the human frame, and that helps us to go to God to find grace to help in every time of need. Time management tool number eight, Jonathan, our final one, is we are almost out of time for this podcast. Consistency is the momentum that can carry us through the harsh or seductive parts of our lives so we can truly invest our time and attention to the glory of God. And isn't that really where we want to be, what we want to do, and how we want to act? I mean, Jonathan, this. So, is my Christianity a waste of time? Folks, Don't let your Christianity be a waste. There is so much value here. And what you need to do, what I need to do, what we all need to do is to take the value of our Christianity and really make it go to work for us so that we can understand what it is that we can gain by being a Christian. We need to have vision. 
We need to have priorities. We need to have urgency. And then we need to have inspiration, perspiration, and consistency in our daily lives. And that makes our Christianity the most, the most valuable part of our every day. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us uh, today. We certainly have enjoyed talking to you about such an important subject. We want to remind you that your time is your own. What you do with it creates your destiny. Use your time to serve God. Think about it. Folks, remember we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic, suggest future topics, and start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure to download our app, Search Christian Questions in your app store, and we look forward to another subject next week.